captain's log, star date 5577.7. We will lose effective control of this vessel at the point when we have become approximately one centimeter tall. At the present rate, we will reach this less than fingernail length in 32 minutes. Bridge to Wall Decks, welcome aboard Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. I'm Scott Mance. And I'm Steve Morris. And in the words of the great Steve Martin, let's get small. Let's get small and big at the same time. I love this episode, the Terraton Incident, in which the Enterprise crew shrinks. And we are so excited to welcome back aboard Enterprise Incidents, our returning guest. She is, among other things, she is the copy editor of the must-have book, especially if you are listening to this very podcast. She's the copy editor of Star Trek, the official guide to the animated series. If you don't have this book, you're missing out. It has been an invaluable resource for this podcast. She is the writer and editor at trekmovie.com, and she has also written for many other Star Trek websites, including the official one, which of course is startrek.com, she is the co-host of the must-listen-to weekly podcast, the all-access Star Trek podcast on trekmovie.com. If you want all your news on everything that is happening on Star Trek, and if you want to hear what these editors at trekmovie.com think of Star Trek Picard Season 3, then you should be listening to the all-access Star Trek podcast on trekmovie.com every week. She's also a freelance writer with not just one, but two books coming out earlier in the summer. Welcome back aboard Enterprise Incidents, Laurie Ulster. Thank you. Very excited to be here. So let's start with our guest. Laurie, what did you think of the Terran incident? This is one of the more fun ones, I have to say. It is, if you are going to do Star Trek animated, shrinking is definitely got to be at the top of the request list. I completely agree. It has some odd things in it, as all of these episodes do. I think I'm definitely more on the uh, Steve way of thinking of the animated series than the Scott way of thinking on the animated uh. series. Um <laughs> But this one, I think, is super fun and moves really quickly. And despite the weird things, um, actually has like a good story and attempts to include some science. All right, Steve, how about you? What are your thoughts initially about the Terran incident? I totally liked it. I really enjoyed it. I think it's one of the most fun episodes we've had in a while. So I, I, no, I, I think this, this will go... You know, doing a top 10 list of 22 episodes of the animated series might be a little <laughs> silly, but this is this is going to rank pretty high, I think. I, I agree. Uh, I think this is a fun one. This is one that I definitely have fond memories of seeing when I was younger. I just had this vivid memory of Captain Kirk waving a to toothpick in front of the electric eye to open the turbo lift doors on the bridge. Uh, Guess but what I that what wasn't a one. toothpick. Do you know what that was? What was that? It's a hairpin. Because they did this back in the olden days. It's a hairpin. <laughs> what is a hairpin doing on the bridge of the Enterprise? <laughs> I assume it fell out of Uhura's hair. I mean, Maybe have you seen did. the hairstyles on the Enterprise? I mean, yeah. there are a lot of there's a lot of stuff keeping the architecture of those hairstyles up. Yes. Or, or you know, maybe it is a toothpick. Maybe, you know, they just uh, had some chicken wings one day on the Enterprise. On the bridge. Toothpicks <laughs> on the bridge. <laughs> but... But what I love about this episode, I really love about it. I think it's so much fun. But I have 
issues with this episode, and those issues are plot points, which we will get to uh, as the as the podcast continues along. The first half of the episode I really love. I love the problem that's facing the crew of the Enterprise. <laughs> I'm not really down with the solution to fix the problem. That's where I think the episode falls apart. Totally agree. It it's it doesn't make sense that the last part of the third act is like I don't even understand what's happening. Yeah. Just keep yeah. Going, what? What? Like I've in my notes I wrote what? A lot. But what I love about this episode, Steve, when when I'm watching the opening credits, and you know there's that option if you're watching it on Paramount Plus, you could skip the intro. I never do that. I've been meaning to ask you this question forever. That was my guess. My guess was that you never skip the intro. What's your guess about me? Uh, my guess is that you do skip the intro. I always skip the intro. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> now, I do not skip the intro because, like I've told you, I love the music from the animated series, especially the way they reworked the opening theme. But when you get to the title card, and I saw the writer of this episode, the first thing that went through my mind is, oh my gosh, Paul Schneider. He wrote Steve Morris's very favorite episode of the original series, which is... Should I guess which one is your favorite? Sure. Balance of Terror? Yes. He wrote Balance of Terror, and he also wrote one of my favorite episodes from the first season of the original series, which is The Squire of Gothos. Paul Schneider says about writing the Terran incident, it was based on a one-paragraph story that Gene Roddenberry had. I took it from there with Dorothy Fontana, the show's associate producer. I just love the concept of doing something related to Gulliver's travels. I enjoyed that as well as watching the process of animation develop. Overall, I thought the episode turned out rather well. Dorothy Fontana was quoted as saying, Paul knew Star Trek and did at least three script drafts on this one. We had to do a rewrite on the dialogue, but we kept the story elements. Somehow, Paul gotten into the idea of cartoon and let his natural ability to do Star Trek dialogue slip a little bit. Still, he knew how to do a half-hour show and tell a strong story in it. And, you know, this is one of those episodes they could not have done as a live action in the late 60s. But still, I think, you know, if they actually did manage to do this as a live action episode, it, it would have been fun. And you could see them like having a little bit of like humor like they did with Tribbles or Piece of the Action, because I think that would that would warrant a little bit of humor. So you don't take it, a, you know, you don't take it too seriously. It's interesting because Deep Space Nine did a shrinking episode called One Little Ship, and it was very late in their run. And they did try to do a comedy episode around it but they sort of cheated because they the ship shrunk and the people inside the ship shrunk with it so you got to see cool shots of like this little ship flying around but you didn't get the wonderful novelty of tiny people on a big giant set which i assume is just far too expensive for them to do in live action and but i would love to see them do it and i feel like strange new worlds is kind of the show that you would want to do that on well, well, also, in one way, they kind of did shrink the Enterprise in the original series in an episode that, Laura, you joined us for, Requiem for Methuselah. <laughs> so, and Catspa. Well, they wait a minute. Catspa, too. They, they did not shrink the Enterprise oh, right. in Catspa. What they did, what, what you know, Sylvia did was, you know, she created basically a voodoo doll of the Enterprise. Yeah, you're right. So, 
So I saw that referenced elsewhere that like, oh yeah, they shrunk the Enterprise in 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 Catsbaugh. I'm like, no, they didn't. That was a voodoo doll. Different different scenario. You're right, but we did get Kirk looking into the view screen in Requiem for yeah, so sorry. <laughs> uh, Let me tell you some of the things going on in the world when this episode aired. It aired on November 17th of 1973. On November 13th, Israel and Egypt finally sign a ceasefire, an official one. This one was brokered by Henry Kissinger. On the same day, Senator Edward Brooke of Massachusetts and 13 other Republican senators met privately with Richard Nixon and said, dude, you got to resign. That's probably not how they said it, <laughs> but they said, if you if you don't, impeachment is coming your way. And Nixon said no. And then <laughs> Nixon went to Orlando on the 17th, where he made a speech in which he said, because people have got to know whether or not their president is a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. What's so crazy to me, I always assumed that quote was about Watergate. Because it's always associated with Watergate. It's not about Watergate. It was about oh. he was accused of cheating on his taxes. Oh. So it happens right in the middle of Watergate, but it's actually not about Watergate. See, I always assumed that that was about Watergate, too. I am not a crook. Watergate. Totally. I, I think of it as the punchline of my childhood. Totally. <laughs> um, well, I think, and it's always put in the montage when you're talking about Watergate. They always play that clip. Yeah, um, that right. is what was going on in the world. Would you like to see what was going on in the Enterprise in the Terraton incident? Let's dive into the Terraton incident. So we start off with a log and that we're checking out the remains of a burnt out supernova. I think the shot is really cool. I think this seems like some really interesting science. I'm glad we're going to be looking at. No, that's not what this episode's going to be about at all, because <laughs> we get a strange signal from uh, the Cepheus system. And Uhura's trying to figure it out. We listen to it. It seems totally random. And then we hear one word in it. And that word is Terraton. And it's repeated. So the star date for the Terraton incident is 5577.3, which puts it between the live action episodes for The World is Hollow and Is There in Truth No Beauty. There have been quite a few animated episodes that have taken place between For the World is Hollow and Is There in Truth No Beauty, and this is another one. I have a question about that timing. Where does, because it did remind me a little bit of Wink of an Eye. Yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering where that fits in, start, like would that have happened before or after? After this. Yeah, Wink of an Eye was in the second half of the third season. So that was that would have been after For the World is Hollow and Is There Intrude No Beauty. Interesting. Was the word totally random, Mr. Spock? No, sir. It was repeated twice in the transmission. Mr. Sulu, lay in a course for Cephas. And McCoy is a little surprised and goes, Jim, you don't mean you're going to abandon the mapping mission to check out some meaningless signal. I'm kind of with McCoy on this. I mean, can you imagine if like there's, you know, a, a aircraft carrier or a battleship that's off on a mission and then just goes, hey, we heard a word signal. Let's go turn around and go do something else. Like you're supposed to do the job you were assigned usually. I disagree. Yes, I You go first on that one, Laurie. <laughs> I think if you're a starship captain and you hear a signal that might be some people, then you check out that signal. I thought it was very Janeway of him to... Mm to switch gears so steve what you're proposing that kirk stay you know like that would have been very pike of him because in the cage oh. when when pike here you know when they get a signal maybe from talus four we aren't going to go just to be certain you know pike is like not without any indication of survivors no so but kirk says hmm a signal huh 
I think that warrants investigation. And I would tell Dr. McCoy, get off my bridge. (laughs) Well, but it's also, I mean, the Pike one is like, that was a distress signal. This is just, you literally just heard, it's like, it's like you're scanning the radio and you heard two, a word repeated and you're like, oh, I wonder what that is. Let's go check that out. It seems like very little to go on. But this moment just struck me funny, this next one, because he's, Kirk says. Meaningless at the moment, Bones, but it was sent twice. Odds against that occurring in a totally random transmission are too high to ignore. <laughs> when he said that, I just wanted everybody to turn and look at Spock to wait for him to give us the odds. Right. <laughs> and I just thought of a, like, and then have a Nimoy go, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you looking at me for? Yeah, that would have been funny. <laughs> and all we have on this planet is that it's class M, it's, it's core is molten and it's got a crystalline crust. But what we see when we get there is huge eruptions shooting out into space. So clearly some stuff is going on on this planet. And this prompts Kirk to do something that I thought was extremely good, extremely cool of him. He checks with every single department and every single deck to make sure that all systems are green before progressing forward. You know, uh, navigations, how you doing? Scotty, how's it going? What's happening in sickbay? You know, with the lab rats and everything. And everything's good, Captain. And he goes, okay, let's go. I thought that was... Uh, very captainy of him. I loved it. I like that Scotty said they're purring like happy kittens. I love that. I would like to take a moment and discuss these animals that apparently have these guys always been in sickbay? The gossamer mice and the whatever the fish, their halo fish. They never turned up, I think, anywhere else, did they? But if you go back to the man trap, you know, you didn't see any any, you know, uh, lab animals, but you did see plants that were sentient and alive. So maybe they were there and we just didn't see it. Well, especially the gossamer mice, you could easily miss. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, the, the thing to me, because it seems as if they're treating them like canaries in the coal mine. Yeah. That that they exist here. That It's like, how's everything on the ship? Because what's happening is we're get, getting hit by some weird sort of beam or something, which we had seen on the planet that was like amongst the crystals, like a radio dish came up and is shooting something at them. And it seems as if like, I just kind of like the idea is we don't know what's going on. Check the animals. How are they doing? They seem fine. I mean, listen, I think the setup of this episode is fantastic. They're they're exploring, you know, a strange new world, so to speak. And which, which of course, I, I love because we didn't really see that a whole lot in the original series. I think the ratio of them doing that in the animated series is a lot greater than it was in the original. But then you have this, uh, like Steve, you said, you have the volcanic activity and you have this like dish that comes up and, and the way it shoots the beam at the enterprise surrounding the enterprise surrounding everybody aboard like everybody aboard the enterprise is affected by this thing and you're like what just happened see now that reminded me a little of the lights of zetar mm, silence sure. yeah i can yeah. <laughs> engineering no casualties captain but trouble aplenty with the engines what about main circuits well, you have to see it to believe it, sir. Those big crystals in there have come apart, each of them unpeeling like the rind of an orange. I'm very confused by unpeeling. It should be peeling. If they're unpeeling, it means the skins are going back on. If it's unpeeling, it means they're, it's fine. <laughs> right. But, but, you know, what I, what I love is, is, you know, you have this unknown 
beam hitting the Enterprise, and immediately it's affecting the engines and the and the dilithium crystals and the circuits and everything. So just like the best of Star Trek, you're starting to see a problem. The problems will seriously multiply from there until it becomes a race against time to save the ship and the crew. I would like to jump forward to the end and just see if we could figure out what the heck has happened. Because at the end, they say something about, because they're these little people that are on the planet and the planet has fallen apart. And so this is their way of getting, trying to get rescued. Is, am I correct? Yes, yes that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So did they shoot this beam to shrink the people on the enterprise that, you yeah. know, I, I understand what you're saying. Uh, so they shot the beam at the enterprise because they needed help. You know, I mean, I didn't, I don't know if they knew that it was going to shrink the people in the enterprise, but I mean, if they're shrunk, then like, what were they expecting? They are shrunk. We find out at the end that they're shrunk because of some environmental thing on the planet that shrunk them. But then they said, this is our defense system. So did they take the environmental thing on the planet and turn it into a beam? And if you want to get rescued, why would you try to shrink people? I mean, like, it just, this just doesn't make, it's like, and I totally enjoy the shrinking crew and all the stuff that happens in the middle part of this episode. But this is also why I was like, I have no idea why this is happening. It's just so bizarre. Well, well, this this is why I said that, that I think the setup and the first half and the, the, the problem that that happens to the Enterprise crew is way more entertaining than the solution. Yeah. We're down in engineering. We see these really messed up dilithium crystals. And then Spock is looking through his, uh, you know, a viewer. Captain, this is quite unprecedented. And I think for the first time ever, we actually see what Spock is seeing when he's looking through yeah. anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Notice the fracturing is spiroform. And then we have another guy in engineering say, call Scotty and say, All the tools, sir. They're too big for us to handle. And we see guys with these big tools. And Kirk turns to Spock and says, Are you slumping? The effect is happening immediately to the crew of the Enterprise. They've already started. They've either started to shrink or the Enterprise has started to expand. They get a distress call from the main dining room because everything is is too large. But you hear a lieutenant, and it's Nichelle Nichols, but she's not being Uhura. And she, <laughs> the big distress is that women are losing their rings and their hairpins, and it's making everybody panic. <laughs> yeah. And I just yeah. had to laugh at that because, you know, first of all, you shouldn't be panicking if you're Starfleet and you're on a ship. And you certainly shouldn't be panicking because your hairpin is so big. So <laughs> there were just some funny bits there, but I loved that they were trying to dig into the science of what was happening. And I loved that they weren't sure if it was the ship growing or the people shrinking. It's funny. My first reaction to that was, well, of course you would. I mean, how could you not know? And then I went, wait a minute. How would you figure that out? If all the devices you use to measure things are changing how would you know if you're changing or if the you know or if the ruler is changing and i went oh this is actually a harder problem than i thought it was so i actually thought that was pretty cool yeah but i mean if the enterprise itself was expanding why would the tools also expand so that's why my first guess would have been we're shrinking so we come back in act two and 
we're having all sorts of equipment failures. We're starting to run out of power. So we're talking about, you know what, we got to reduce the amount of times we're signaling with our communications. We got to reduce our sensor sweep. I mean, we're really starting to be in trouble. And this is the moment that you see Uhura climb up on her console <laughs> to push the buttons is it's just the silliness of the episode was making me smile throughout the whole thing. And I was glad it was animated and not live action because of the miniskirt. Because oh. <laughs> that would have been uncomfortable. But yes, I loved all those scenes. They were it. I loved the visuals in this episode, which is not a phrase I ever thought I would say about the animated series. Well, I I, I love this part of the episode. You know, when they start shrinking, when the crew really start shrinking to the point where they have to climb on top of the console and use both hands to push a button and, you know, make, use makeshift stilts to, you know, maintain their, their, you know, like in navigations and helm. Uh, you know, what I love is just how resourceful the enterprise crew comes to just work the ship. I mean, the, the beauty I think of this episode is that the greatest danger facing the Enterprise crew is the Enterprise itself, because as they continue to shrink, they lose the ability to control the ship, and they come up with all these resourceful methods to, to, to do that while also trying to figure out what's the problem. And just like the best of the original series, I love when, you know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy try to put their heads together to resolve what the problem is. Like the three of them together, figuring stuff out is one of the things that I've always loved about the original series. I also like that in this one, I feel like Uhura is always commenting on what's going on in a very scientific, curious way. She gets to do a lot in this episode compared to the live You're action right. show. Uh, I agree. And I yeah. love the way that she chimed in. She she was commenting on everything, observing it. She had, you know, and I thought that helped along the way. And then, yeah, their their analysis of what's of the specifics of what's going on, I thought was very Star Trek. Well, one of the things that I pointed out repeatedly on the animated series is how there it really does feel like an ensemble on the original show all the key moments will be left to Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. You know, you'd have some episodes that felt like ensembles like Doomsday Machine or Mirror Mirror uh, or Trouble with Tribbles or I Mud. But with the animated series, you know, and Steve and I have pointed this out a few times already, like everyone has something to do. Like it's really, you know, maybe it's because, you know, because it was animated and, you know, Shatner wasn't counting lines and he didn't care. Um, but I, I love that the dynamic feels more like that of Next Generation than of the original series. You both commented on the team working together to figure out the problem, and I feel the same way. I think it's the best we've seen in the animated series. And let's get into that, which is we're down in sickbay, and the first thing we see is basically looking at an atom and that the space between the particles is getting smaller. How long can it keep on? Ad infinitum, perhaps considering distance between atoms is relatively as great as between stars. Is, is that true, that the, the, the number of atoms determines how much we actually weigh, no matter how big we actually are? It determines our mass, yes, absolutely. That is what determines our mass. Oh, okay. Um, what we weigh is determined by gravity of the planet you're on. Um, so your what you weigh is different depending on what planet we were on. Mm. Um, and yes, no, it's totally true. We are 99% empty space. 
Wow. That, that is, explains a lot. Because the distance, <laughs> and it's actually, it's not, it's not so much the distance between molecules, which is kind of how they say it, or between atoms. It's the, it's the space within the atom. It's the space between the nucleus and that electron that's revolving, orbiting around it. It's all empty space. Um, and I'm sure there are f- actual physicists who are listening to this who will say that I got it all wrong. So um, <laughs> no, it's not, certainly not my area of expertise. It's, so I apologize. That's why I'm not so. weighing in. <laughs> and then we look over at the fish. Dr. McCoy, the animals, they're, they're getting too small for the cage mesh. All the gossamers are out. And as she points, we see that she's wearing this huge, huge bracelet. The bracelet has not shrunk. Yet the uniform on which you wear it fits as well as ever. And then we hear something which I've never heard before about Star Trek. Uniform made of algae-based xenolon, I believe. So, our Star Trek uniforms are made of algae. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, like the first thing I started thinking of, because it's been a while since I'd seen the episode, is, oh, so they're shrinking, but the uniforms are also shrinking. How does that work? Well, uh, I had just asked myself that question in my head and wrote it down in my notes when I went, oh, there's the answer. So... That's that's new information we're hearing about on the animated series. What was your take on all this uh, all this new information, Laurie? I thought it was revolutionary of them to actually ask the question and provide an answer because I feel like other times they don't always do that. Why does why is the uniform not changing or why is the uniform changing? And this was a great thing to throw in because I do try to remember that it was a show specifically for kids. And you want to spark curiosity. So this was a great made-up new piece of information that would explain it away. And it was a fun scene. I really love this too. I think this is such a great thing. Because what is it that I'm always bugged by? on the, uh, you, How many times on the course of Enterprise Incidents have you heard me say, well, that doesn't really make sense because of, or why isn't this happening? All the time, my little nitpicking quibbles. And this is them addressing it. This is them going... We're going to take this weird thing of why are the uniforms shrinking and we're going to turn it into an asset, another piece of evidence in figuring out what's going on. I think that's great. Yes, I completely agree. And we go on that way because the next thing we see is that they look in the aquariums and that the plants in the aquariums are shrinking and the rocks are not shrinking. So suddenly we're going, oh, this is affecting organic things. And then we even take it to another level of learning. The wave tends to wind tight such spiral molecules as dilithium. There is one other molecular structure. Of course, the double helix of DNA, nucleus of every cell in our bodies. I mean, this is like, just as you said, Lori, this is actually teaching things about actual science. It's really cool. Yeah, I agree. I thought that was unusual and great for them to be doing. I mean, I didn't get to watch this show as a kid. It, I don't think it was on in Canada. When I was that age, I've never been able to verify that. So I only saw it as an adult. But there are some great lessons in here, I think. I mean, just in terms of information and critical thinking. Well, the thing about the animated series that makes it special is that the writers were told to write like they are writing for Star Trek. And if they threw in some sort of educational things here and there that were done, you know, I want I don't want to say subtle but not not beating you over the head with it, then that was also great because I don't feel like any of these episodes we've covered so far on this podcast have been written down to the, to the audience. I feel like what I loved about it and the reason I have been grading the animated series on a curve is because I feel like the writers are writing like it's for Star Trek. 
I'm not sure I agree entirely with that. Like I do feel if it sort of reminds me of, you know, all the famous memos that they that were going back and forth in the original series and they would write yep. these very hilarious memos. And at one point, Leonard Nimoy was like complaining in a memo, I think, that Spock's character basically just raised an eyebrow and said fascinating all the time. And he was getting frustrated. And I feel like in the animated series, there's a lot of that. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they don't. And so... I always have to context it and remember, like, what was the intention of the show? What was the budget of the show? What were the resources as I look at those things? Because if you binge it, you will start to get very frustrated. One at a time is fine. I, I don't know about that. I feel like some of the episodes we've done, especially like Once Upon a Planet, you know, Mud's Passion, you know, some of the episodes there felt like that they were just doing too much of a rehash without really doing something really new and imaginative to propel the idea forward. And, but then again, I mean, you know, you two are sort of looking at the animated series one way and I'm looking at it uh, another way. So I'm a, more of a glasses half full kind of person when it comes to the animated series. Well, this episode is great for half full because it's a really good episode. Yes. I think sometimes it's exactly what Lori says. And sometimes I think it's what Scott says. That's I'm, I'm, I'm splitting the difference here. I yeah. feel like when they really get it, they get it, you know. And there are a lot of times where, you know, it's like it was what I was trying to say in our last episode on Mud's Passion, where there was still the the same McCoy Spock joke. And it's like just repeating the same joke. That's where to me it falls a little bit into caricature rather than into like nuanced humanness for me. And the other thing we're trying to figure out is, okay, how much are we going to shrink and how long will it take to get to our smallest size? Something else we'd better determine first. How long can we expect to maintain control of our ship? I love all the little Star Trek people shots because <laughs> Spock climbing up the chair to get up onto a console with little Kirk and Bones down below, I think is just hilarious. When I go back and I think of the animated series, and again, I have not watched the animated series episodes like I've watched the original episodes like like continuously over the decades but one of the images that really stuck out of my mind from when I did watch the animated episodes back in the day was the image of the little Enterprise crew members like sitting on top of the consoles and using the, you know, the hairpin, toothpick, what have yeah. you, to, to open the door. Uh, this episode stuck out to me more than probably any other because of these this this fun stuff with the Enterprise crew shrinking. This is where the episode to me really works well. And feels feels like Star Trek, but feels like something fun. It's fun. I think this is like the the I Mud test, which is that if you're happy with Star Trek being really silly, then you'll like this episode. And if that bugs you, well, then this episode is definitely not for you. <laughs> Captain's log, star date fifty five seventy seven point seven. We will lose effective control of this vessel at the point when we have become approximately one centimeter tall. And I'm like. I think you'd lose control way before that. One centimeter tall is really, really, really tiny. Um, and then we cut to the shot of Sulu and Eric's on these like handmade ladders trying to control the ship. I think it's just hilarious. Yeah, I love it. I think that's that's. But the, you know what? Again, it's I love seeing the Enterprise crew being resourceful, doing whatever it yeah. takes to maintain control of the Enterprise. Yeah, the jury rigging across the board is creative, smart, and fun. 
Yeah. And we also, now we have a ticking clock because we hear it's 32 minutes and then we're going to be too small to control the ship. Spock, how small will we ultimately shrink? I do think they spend way too much time trying to figure out how small they'll get and not nearly <laughs> enough time trying to figure out how to stop being small. <laughs> Everyone continue to jury rig miniature control mechanisms. There's nothing more we can do. And I'm like, no, you should be doing something else. You have 32 minutes. And Sulu argues. But there is, Captain. Request permission to direct phaser fire at the planet. And he really wants to shoot something <laughs> at this point. Sounds like a little panicky. I'm yeah. Thinking, what is he all jittery? He gets he gets uncharacteristically jittery. See, this is the first problem I have with the episode right here, is uh, Sulu panicking. That was completely out of character. Yeah. And this is where I feel like Paul Schneider took some shortcuts at the expense of character to to propel the story forward in a way that that doesn't hold up in the world of Star Trek. Uh, seeing Sulu like want to fire the phasers and panicking the way he does and hearing, you know, we'll cut to it in a bit, but hearing Chapel yell out the words, help, 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 when she falls into the uh, aquarium, this is the first sort of red flag of this episode where I went, I don't like that. That doesn't really work. And also you could have had Sulu falling down and injuring himself, which is what they needed, without having him panic and want to shoot people. Exactly. I completely agree. Well, and that Kirk is saying there's nothing else we can do. Like, all of those things together just don't make sense. But he does fall down and injure himself. They think that he broke his legs. And we go, okay, we're going to head down to sickbay, except this is where the electric eye doesn't see them, and we need to wave the hairpin in order to get onto the turbo lift. Um, by the way, and I'm not going to, you know, it's say it, it's funny, Lori, that you brought up Wink of an Eye, because I had the same, this basic objection in Wink of an Eye, which is, if you really think too much about their size, it would take them a week to get to sickbay, you yeah. know? Yeah, oh, like, yeah. going to sickbay is wildly impractical. <laughs> yeah, well, or in that we're up on some medical table, well, the medical table is like <laughs> 50 stories tall, it would have taken really hard to get up there, um, and we see McCoy examining uh, Sulu with a giant, you know, sensor, medical sensor. Ooh. Compound fracture. And I'm like, dude, you're a doctor. You didn't need a medical sensor. A compound fracture, the bone would be sticking out. You oh. probably could have seen that. <laughs> Did you notice the other thing that happens right there when he says compound fracture? No. What? It's Sulu's other leg. The leg. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, that's a dude's moment. <laughs> Uh, and then Chapel has the bright idea of using the microscopic laser to mend the bones. And that's why she climbs up to try to get it out of the closet and falls into the aquarium. And yes, Scott, as you mentioned, her saying help. Help! And just repeating the word help. Help! 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 It's terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, not even a drowning person would actually repeat the word help like that. And it would have been so much interesting if she, if she was just irritated with her clumsiness and went and they went are you okay she's like i'm fine i i, I just feel stupid i can't get, but i can't get out and it's like okay we'll help you get out like having her go help 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 is bad writing it's bad character it's bad everything and right before that she'd been like i've got a solution i'm gonna go solve yeah. this problem which again is a great breakthrough for that character yep well, and then Kirk is so condescending after he gets her out. He says, no more climbing heights for you, nurse. Got that clear? Well, you're kind of being a jerk. No, but she's like, at least I say I still have the equipment we need. Yeah. So she's a bit snarky back. 
I am a little curious as to why there was a needle and thread just lying next to the aquarium. <laughs> that is a good, it's a good question. <laughs> well, when you have algae-based clothing, you really need to be able to do repairs all the time, I think. Or maybe it was for the gossamer mice. <laughs> <laughs> Later on, we find out that we're going to shrink down to one sixteenth of an inch. Am I the only person who is bothered by the constant mix of imperial and metric measurements in Star Trek? It's no. like, pick a lane. It's either a centimeter or it's inches. Like, just pick one. Also pick a <laughs> centimeter. Sorry. But metric system just is the way to go. It, it, I, it's so obvious that Star Trek, which is futuristic, should be all metric. I mean, th- why would they ever have a mile or a pound or any of those terrible measurements that we are forced to use in this country? <laughs> Sorry, America. You're welcome to come at me on social media if you want to defend that system. As um, a Canadian, I support everything that you just said. <laughs> thank you. Can you calculate the geographic center of the wave emissions from the planet's surface? Easily, Captain. May I ask the purpose? It's as good a place as any to beam down. We see Kirk with a giant communicator. See, that is my favorite shot, I think, in the whole episode. Yeah, I love it. I love seeing, like, you know, the current the communicator is bigger than his whole body. <laughs> How many beaming down, Captain? One, Scotty. Myself. Why is he beaming down by himself? No idea. I was going to ask the same question. I think it sounds cool as a, something to do at the end of the act, but it doesn't make you've never beamed down just by yourself. Like, what? why would you do this? See, when I when we get to this point of this episode, I feel very Steve Morris. This is where I start to get nitpicky about the episode, and I usually don't get like that uh, because I'm because I have been grading the uh, the animated series on a curve. But but I think I think the reason why I started doing that with the Terran incident is because the first half I thought was just so great. I loved the setup, and I loved all those images that we were just talking about with the Enterprise crew shrinking and trying to control the ship. And then when you get to these moments like with Sulu and and Chapel acting out of character and like like having questions like, well, why is Kirk beaming down alone? And a slew of questions that I started asking and writing down in my notes in the third act, I feel like, you know, if Dorothy Fontana said in that quote uh, that I talked about in the beginning where she said uh, uh, that Paul Schneider had to do at least three script drafts. Maybe they should have done a fourth or even a fifth to get some of those plot <laughs> points down to just, you know, I, I, it just feels like a lazy screenwriting. And I'm sure, Steve, you would agree with that. I totally agree. I think, you know, what's funny is it's funny what it takes to move something from the negative to the positive column. And for me, act two, and particularly the scene of them figuring things out, and a lot of the fun shots of the tiny crew on the Enterprise, I just like so much that this is where I'm more forgiving of this stuff, which I totally agree. This doesn't make sense. I, I really don't know what the heck is going on in the third act. We're, we're in the transporter room. First of all, we set up that they're going to do some automatic beam back in 10 minutes with Kirk. Which they should, by the way, do all the time. There's so many times that I was like, oh, that would have been great to do yeah. a lot of other times. But they, I think they only do that in this one. It's the only one I can think of. And then I love the way that they've rigged pulling down those sliders on the transporter console. And that Scotty, when they say energize, 
goes heave. And it's like we're in the old Navy, you know, like yeah. heaving up a sail. I did too. I, I love that. You know, the, the smaller they get, the more resourceful they have to get. And Steve, when we were talking about the last episode, I think it was uh, Mud's Passion, where they refer to Transporter Room 4. And in this yeah. episode, we're told, uh, Kirk says, get a crew down to Transporter Room 3. And Laurie, uh, the question that Steve and I had when we were talking about, oh, so there's more than one Transporter Room. Can you imagine all the problems that would have solved in the original series if uh, they had more than one transporter room in, let's say, the Doomsday Machine uh, or uh, Obsession? You know, it would have really solved a lot of problems. I agree. (laughs) Well, that's why they fixed it for the animated series. Yes. So he beams down. We're surrounded by crystals and volcanoes. And guess what? He's big. (laughs) Yep. Fixed the problem. But then he doesn't say, okay, crew, we can fix everybody now. And then there's more uh, explosions from the eruptions, and he's running, and he drops his communicator, which immediately gets covered by lava. He stumbles upon a tiny little city, which made me think of the bottle city of Candor, you know, from Superman. Then he beams back up, because I guess that was 10 minutes. Is that what happened? Yeah, that was really, I don't know what he was doing in that 10 minutes, because he just seemed to be running around. It's, I mean, maybe he should have said five minutes and that would have been more believable. Yeah, it's all, all of this stuff is really, really strange. And now he's alone on the bridge. He's calling around and he sees some tiny little people. Scotty, is it you? Aye, Captain. For the love of heaven, be careful where you step. <laughs> and stop shouting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now he's talking in a soft voice. Yeah, this is all... It, it, this is this might be the most immediate like turnaround of an episode of just it's just jumping the shark at every moment now as we're <laughs> heading towards the end. Everyone accounted for? All but the bridge crew, sir. They were trying to man their posts here when all of a sudden they were beamed away. Every living one of them. So they were beamed away by the Terratin people, correct? Yes. Yes, right. Why? I don't know. I don't know. And no, and why now? And why just them? And and how did Scotty know? And there are just a lot of yeah. Also, the, it's the second time in the animated series. I mean, we're only eleven episodes in. You know, this this by the way, this episode Steve brings us halfway through the animated series. We're already at episode oh, wow. eleven. Um, but we already saw in the Laurel Eye Signal when Kirk, Spock, and McCoy were aging that they were able to help them. With the transporter, they used the transporter fit to fix the problem. Now here we are, a few episodes later in the Terran incident, that they are using the transporter. The transporter basically fixes the problem. See what? Where's where's Doctor McCoy coming up with this miracle thing in the last moment to save the crew? Like in you know naked time, like you know what I mean? Like it just feels like they had this great idea, and the first half of the script was going really, really well. And then there's like, we got to finish this and we got to do it in 24 minutes. And they just started throwing stuff out. And like you said, Steve, they jumped the shark a little bit. I'm going to give you a theory story-wise for why maybe it had to be the transporter because they need to have a reason that they can't do it to the people on the planet. And that's because the transporter would not have stored their patterns. That makes perfect sense. But I also agree with Scott. They didn't figure it out. I mean, yeah. if they, even on the, the Lorelei episode, 
that's an idea of, hey, let's try using the transporter. Here, Spock says something about it, but they didn't try. In fact, most of the time, what they're trying to figure out is how small are we going to get and how long will it take? Not, can we block this beam? Can we stop the process? But, you know, like, for instance, and this goes into like uh, the Atom and Ant-Man, but it's like, well, they're the, if, if they're the same weight when they're tiny little things, maybe there's something they could, you know, could do with that. Maybe, you know, maybe there's other things they could do. And added to that, the bad guys make no sense. Like what they're doing doesn't make any sense either. So all of this is just really bizarre. You know, we're talking about how things really fall apart in the third act here. And it got me thinking like how, you know, all the stuff with the city, the little city and the the, the, the episode title, The Terran Incident, The Terrans, um, like you didn't even need any of that. Like you just had this, the Enterprise uh, exploring the supernova. I mean, in Deadly Years, when they went to Gamma Hydra 4 and there was a comet and the planet passed through the comet's tail and that's what caused the people, the colonists to grow older and the same thing happened to the landing party when they beamed down. Well, they're investigating and they're exploring this supernova and there is this beam that hits the Enterprise from the supernova causing everybody to shrink. That's all you need. You don't need all this other stuff. Scott Mance? That is a fantastic Scott Mance rewrite. Yes. Well done. I totally agree. I 100% agree. That's a better episode. We're just working the problem. And then they come up with a cool solution by working together as a team. I love it. That would be so much better. But now, and this again, this is why this is so dumb, is now at the end of the third act is the first time that Kirk tries to contact the planet, which is the most normal Star Trek thing to do, is to call. Message to the inhabitants of the city on the planet below. All this ship's armament is locked on the coordinates of your city. And he shoots a phaser to demonstrate they're serious and says, You have one minute to restore my bridge crew unharmed, or you will undergo full barrage. And they call back. So clearly they can communicate. Mm-hmm. why didn't we just talk in the first place? Why are people shrinking? Why is this whole thing happening? I don't understand. And also, if Kirk did fire on them, wouldn't he also kill his crew? Yes, that is a great, great point. Great. He would. Mm-hmm. And he gave them one minute, which is very un-Kirk-like and un-Starfleet-like. See, another out-of-character trait. Yes, I agree. The Mendent is the name of the leader of these people, says... We neither suffer insult nor give apology for actions, but I give them now for damage done your starship. <laughs> so now he's apologizing for, I don't know. No, and also you shouldn't declare that you don't apologize for things. That's not a good policy. Yeah. And he says they can replace their dilithium. We see all the crew is there. We try to tell you our plight as you passed, but our great antenna was buried. We had no choice but to use our invasion defense to reach you. So how can you talk to them now? Many questions, Steve Morris. Many I shru- you can't see, but I shrugged. <laughs> you still haven't answered my question. Either you tell me what's happened to my people. Here we are, Captain. And we see all of them down there. It's like they're at a party or something. <laughs> yeah, they're just kind of all hanging out. It's like, wh- never mind. I'm not going to ask these questions anymore i have a question we have to ask though that i this didn't even occur to me when i was watching it so kirk beams down to the planet and he's instantly restored to his full size correct right Mm -hmm. yes 
But they beam down, they're beamed down to the planet and they're still tiny. Because they weren't beamed down by the Enterprise's transport. Oh, okay. It's good. the Enterprise's oh. transporters that have their old, yeah. Thank so you. it's because the inter- nah, Steve, you just answered one of the one of the pressing questions that I had. Like, why I'm cutting to the chase when they beam the city aboard the Enterprise using the phasers, which doesn't make sense. Uh, the the city is yeah, tiny, okay, thing. like like you know, like Gulliver's Travels. But why did the Enterprise crew beam down and beam back up, and then they're back to normal size? It's because of what you said, and what they said in the episode is that the transporter keeps a memory of your body mass, whatever. And that's why, uh, it, it has your, 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 your body stored in its system. And that's why I was able to restore the enterprise crew to actual size, but the Territons were not beamed down by the enterprise transporter. And that's why, okay. Thank you for answering that question. Well, and if they had, the Territons were born small, they never had a, a, a big size that to, for the, the enterprise transporters to remember. And what we hear is that this was actually an Earth colony, and that's why they understand some stuff about Earth technology, and that these Earth colonists numbered the planet Terra 10, the number 10, hence the pronunciation of their name. And Kirk's like, yeah, but we don't have any tiny little Earth colonies around. Exactly why they were lost, Captain. Spiroid epsilon waves are natural here and shrank them to this size. It has become a genetic characteristic now. I was thinking when they said that, that it's a good thing it became genetic, because imagine being a tiny woman who suddenly has a giant fetus inside her. (laughs) (laughs) I got very terrified thinking about that. (laughs) My other question is, if this is an Earth colony, shouldn't this planet be a member of the Federation? And if they keep talking about their ancestors, this is an Earth colony. If it's only been a couple hundred years since, since first contact day and and all that stuff and and Cochrane created like warp drive and all that stuff and they're they're out in space. It's only been a hundred years since Captain Archer. Uh how old is this colony talking about like their ancestors? Like how how old can their ancestors possibly be if it's an Earth colony and we haven't been out in space that long anyway? You ready for my dumb answer? Let's hear it. They're tiny people, tiny people have tiny lifespans. So they, oh, they've had many, many okay. generations. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to roll with that. They had no other way to reach us except to make us their size. They didn't mean us harm, sir. Again, makes no sense. All bridge crew prepare to beam aboard. Each of you carry as much dilithium as you can find. So we're going to grab a whole bunch of dilithium crystals. We beam people back aboard. Nice to be back aboard, sir. And fitting the room again. So as the, as the Enterprise crew is beaming down and then beaming back up, restored to their normal size and, and carrying as much dilithium crystal as they can. The last image of the landing party of one of the landing parties to beam back up is made up of three artists from the animated series. Herb Hazelton, who designed the main enterprise crew members, George Jensen, the layout artist and Bob Klein, the storyboard artist. I actually got that from Laurie, the book, uh, official guide to the animated series, which I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, I think that's really cool. They drew themselves in. That's super cool. Um, so power's coming back online. Things are starting to work. Mr. Erex, prepare for immediate departure from this area. Captain, what about the people on the planet? I hate when writers want to trick the audience. 
You know what I mean? It's not, Kirk would never say this this way. This wouldn't happen this way. You're doing it to create tension with the audience, not because your characters would actually do this. And Kirk, Kirk has got a plan. Of course he's got a plan. You know, he's not going to just leave. But, but I agree with you, Steve. Uh, that could have been written better. But also, Kirk says, Mr. Sulu, direct forward phases at the Territon City set for pinpoint fire pattern. My feeling is, okay, so... Kirk's going to save the city by beaming them aboard the Enterprise. Why didn't he just beam it aboard the Enterprise? What what is firing phasers at the city? How does that go ahead? I, I've no Here's idea what I I will tell you what I think this is, and it totally fails because it does it isn't clear. I think what the idea was was the city is attached to the ground, so they have to cut it out first in order to then beam it up. This is why hosting this podcast with Steve Morris because I'm going to go with that. That works for me. But it doesn't work in the episode because it's totally not clear. They yeah. just shoot one. If, if it had gone around in a circle, if the phaser had gone around the city in a circle, then it would be clear, but it's not what they did. Yeah. When Rich um, and Aaron were working on the book, I remember asking Rich, I was like, what is the deal with firing the phaser? Was that a mistake? What was the point? And um, I don't think he found the answer to that himself so i think you found the answer to that um oh. none of us could figure it out we were like why is he firing phasers it was so bizarre so we beam the city up and we look through a microscope and see that the people are all there and then apparently we've already figured out a new home for them we're taking them to a new planet that's supposed to be beautiful we have no way to pay the debt we owe but this at least comes from a meeting of all our numbers we name you Honorary Territons, now and for all time to come. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> and the button on the scene is... We came rather close to making it more than honorary. Yes, I'd say just about a sixteenth of an inch close. And that is the end of the Terrapin incident. So, as far as the original series is concerned, you had an episode where the Enterprise crew ages. You had an episode here, I mean, this is animated, where the Enterprise crew shrinks... And then in the very last episode of the animated series, the counterclock incident, you have a scene, uh, a situation where the Enterprise crew gets younger. See, I think all of these plot devices are really fun. I mean, the Deadly Years is much, much more serious because it's live action and the, the tone of that episode was definitely very serious, dead serious, if you will. But, uh, you know, the... Tartan incident and the counterclock incident, I think are really fun. I think the counterclock incident is a much, much better episode, but I still love the Tartan incident, even though I had a lot of problems with act three and there was just a lot of questions. And again, it could have used a rewrite or two, or they could have taken all the stuff with the Tartan city out of the episode and just made it about a space anomaly that shrinks the crew. And it's up to Kirk, Spock and McCoy and the crew to figure out a way to reverse it. And, you know, combination of Spock and McCoy coming up with some scientific idea that makes it work. They don't rely on the transporter to do it like they did with the Lorelei signal. Having said all that, I still love the episode. I think it's really, really fun. And rewatching it for the first time in many, many, many years, uh, I had a smile on my face during those moments where the shrunken Enterprise crew is just trying to control the ship. I'm the same. Basically... I totally like what I like the, the, the part in the middle, figuring out the science, watching all the ways they jury rig stuff. All that is fun. You know, the thought that just occurred to me, there's an Eric, cause I was a huge Superman fan. Um, and that was the comic I collected the most of. 
and I had uh, got a lot of comics, Superman comics from like the early 60s. Cool. And there's an era of Superman comics in the early 60s where it was giant Superman. Superman has a huge brain. Superman <laughs> is shrunk. Superman, what if Lois, Lois, Lois gets superpower? You know, it was all, it was sort of the, the weird science trick of the week. And it feels like the animated series is playing a little bit in that playground. And to, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And I think that the secret, and, and it goes back to what we were saying in the original series itself, is that the the fun science science idea, we'll say instead of the great sci-fi idea, we'll say for the animated series, the fun science idea, that's just one element. And it's getting the characters to work right and having some sort of emotional content and a sense of adventure that we need to. And so the characters are totally working right in that middle section of the show. Yeah. And that's where it's just wor working like gangbusters. And in the last act, it's like you could almost just not watch it. Just skip it. Just <laughs> go like and then somehow they get out of it because it just makes no sense whatsoever. But the middle part is totally fun. I could have watched a whole hour of just shrunken Enterprise crew members trying to do different things on the ship. I would have been very entertained by that. So I agree. Like the the logic and the character stuff kind of falls apart, but it's still a super enjoyable episode. And A plus on the shrinking, man. That's like the bottom line is the shrinking makes it. So that is what we think of the Terran incident. Of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you like watching a tiny little Enterprise crew? If so, visit us on our Facebook page. Or if you don't like Facebook, you could come on Twitter where we're Enter Incidents, Enterprise Incidents on Instagram. You could subscribe to the show at all the usual places. I'm assuming everybody has subscribed to the show at this point. But if you haven't, maybe you should subscribe to the show at two or three different services. Why not be able to listen to it on YouTube and Spotify? Why not? Great idea. You could leave your reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's a huge help. And if you want to support the show, you can do it by clicking on the show notes. There's a link where you can support the show for as little as 99 cents a month, as much as $9.99 a month. We very much appreciate all the support. And if you want to reach me, you can do it at SR Morris on Twitter, SR Morris one on Instagram. And you can always check out my other podcast. If you like great films called the cinephiles, and I should say, which I never do that. It is spelled C I N E dash F I L E S the cinephiles. Well, I have a question, Steve, did you ever cover the incredible shrinking woman on the cinephiles? Nope. have not done any the incredible shrunken, shrunken people uh, movies that you might've covered. We didn't do Fantastic Voyage. We didn't do Inner Space. We haven't done any any shrinking movies that I can think of at this time. Wow, Fantastic Voyage would be a great episode of The Cinephiles. Uh, yes, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MovieMance. And like Steve said, please head over to our, our, our page on Apple Podcasts, Enterprise Incidents with Scott and Steve. Leave a review. If you have not yet left a review for us on Apple Podcasts, now is the time. We are halfway through the animated series. I feel like we just started, but we are already halfway through uh, and some really, really good episodes and guests to come on Enterprise Incidents. But do leave a review for us on our Apple Podcasts. Make sure you share Enterprise Incidents on your social media. Please share it so more people can discover Enterprise Incidents because there's a lot of Star Trek podcasts, especially the all-access Star Trek podcast on trekmovie.com. So we want to you know, make sure that everybody listens to the very, very, very best Star Trek podcast. So please spread the word, not just about Enterprise Incidents, but also the all-access Star Trek podcast from trekmovie.com. Laurie. 
Thank you again for yeah. joining us on Enterprise Incidents and tell us where people can find you on social media. I am Flubish, F-L-O-O-B-I-S-H, on Twitter and Instagram. That is the best place to find me. And I am at Trek Movie, writing articles, doing my podcast with Tony, and uh, making my presence known. Well, thank you again for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. And thank you again for for suggesting the Sci-Fi Sisters when we had them on for the Lorelei Signal. They were amazing guests. So coming up next on Enterprise Incidents is an episode, another one that I really have fond memories of. I'm really looking forward to rewatching and doing a deep dive into the time trap and the return of Captain Core. But with, of course, he is voiced by James Dewan, this time not John Colicos, sadly. But the time trap is next on Enterprise Instance. So do join us then. And as always, remember to keep going boldly. <laughs>